Hello and welcome to the latest episode of PwC's Economics in Business podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing what 2021 might bring for the global economy. Now, as has become the norm this year, I'm joined virtually today by Barak Gupalian and Rob Clary from our macroeconomics team. Hi, both. Hey. Hey, Hannah. Good to be here. So 2020, well, what an eventful year. And looking forward, 2021 uh, looks to be just as eventful. So Joe Biden will begin his presidency, along with the first female VP. Very exciting. Uh, this year, there will also be elections in Scotland and Germany. China will launch its next five-year plan. The UK will host COP26, the UN's next global climate change conference. And the UK will also hold its next census in March. And of course, there is also light at the end of the tunnel due to the earlier than expected rollout of a COVID-19 vaccine. So as usual, we in PwC's economics team have put together our predictions for the year ahead. Both reports for the UK and global economies are out now for you to read. And in today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Barrett and Rob about some of these predictions. So Barrett, kicking off with a big question, what is the outlook for growth in the global economy this year? So I suppose the short answer to your question, Hannah, is is our title for the uh, latest edition of the Global Economy Watch, which is where we summarize at least our uh, global projections. And we called that edition uh, from the great lockdown to the great rebound. So let me just outline some of the themes we expect uh, should dominate in, in 2021. I think the first one I'd say is that on aggregate, we think that the global economy is projected to grow at a record speed, hence hence the great rebound. So in our main scenario, we expect the economy to expand by 5% uh, in market exchange rates, which is the fastest one recorded in the 21st century. Now, what do we think needs to happen for that to materialize? So what are our assumptions underpinning that projection? Well, it's conditional on the successful deployment of the the different vaccines that we've got and continued accommodative fiscal, financial and monetary conditions. I think bar any accidents or unexpected policy measures in in either of the large economies, that that last assumption is is a sensible one and it's likely to persist. Um, But that's not a guarantee. And then I think the the other thing I'd say is that the next three to six months, I think, of the of 2021 will be particularly challenging for the northern hemisphere economies that are going through the winter months as they could be forced to further localize or full economy wide lockdowns. So we might see, for example, output in some advanced economies contract in in the first quarter of next year. I mean, it's quite clear that the UK is potentially heading in in that direction with the emergence of the new strain of the virus. And that's, you know, our main scenario is not that this spreads in other economies as well, but, you know, that's not guaranteed. I think the more positive stories for the global economy will, will pick up in the second half of the year, which is when we expect most of the large advanced economies to have vaccinated at least two thirds of their population which, you know, according to the World Health Organization, is required to halt the spread of the disease. We also expect other vaccines to come online as well in due time. And there's quite a few trials of the different vaccines we've already got available, uh, 
that are undergoing some testing. So for example, combining two of the vaccines together and you know seeing whether that leads to different results and so on and so forth. So I think the second half of the year will be quite exciting in that regard. But, but what I would say, uh, and this is sort of going into our second theme, is that the recovery is expected to be uneven across sectors, income levels, and countries. So, you know, as I said, in aggregate, we, we expect the global economy to grow at 5%, which basically means that it reverts to its pre-crisis levels of output by the end of 2021. But you, you'll see the unevenness in, across different countries. So at one end of the spectrum, you, you're going to have China, which is already bigger compared to its pre-pandemic size. And then on the other hand, uh, you'll have mostly the advanced economies, which are either service-based, like the UK, France, and Spain, or more focused on exporting capital goods, which haven't really done well uh, to date. And that's economies like Germany and Japan. And they're probably unlikely to recover to their pre-crisis levels by the end of the year. I think in these economies, growing but lower levels of productivity is likely to push unemployment rates higher as well. So the OECD, for example, expects you know, the unemployment rate to be about 7% in its member states with, with large variation within, within the actual states. And, and most of the jobs affected are, we expect to be those at the bottom of the earnings distributions which then you know, leads to questions about income inequalities. So gradually, I think towards the end of 2021, we, we will sort of see government's focus shift from fighting the virus to actually dealing with the higher unemployment rates by either upskilling their workforce, creating jobs um, in newer sectors, and also in some cases to redesign their growth models for, for, the, new, for the new economy as well. Thanks, Brad. That's a really great summary of um, the global outlook for next year. Now, one of the outcomes of the worldwide lockdowns that we saw last year was a significant fall in demand for oil and therefore a fall in prices. Rob, what does this economic outlook mean for oil prices this year, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're quite right, Hannah, that 2020 was an incredibly volatile year for oil prices. In April, we witnessed the largest contraction in prices in over 20 years as these global lockdowns halted oil-intensive industries such as transportation. In the sort of second half of 2020, prices recovered somewhat, and this was largely driven by China's strong recovery and optimism surrounding vaccines. And looking ahead to this year, we're expecting more volatility. The price of oil will continue to be tied to the performance of the global economy, which, which Barris just outlined there. And we're expecting that in the first half, demand will remain weak particularly in the Northern Hemisphere economies, which, as Barrett's rightly mentioned, could face further national or regional lockdowns. Demand should pick up in the second half of the year as the, vac as the vaccines become more widespread and economic activity accelerates. The supply side is going to continue to be defined by OPEC and Russia, who recently agreed to a small increase in supply from January, but output is still quite a long way below pre-crisis levels. Overall, we think that oil prices are likely to remain below $60 per barrel in 2021. That's lower than the average price we saw in 2019 of $64 per barrel. And what about other commodities? Yeah, so in terms of the outlook for other commodities, 
This will be to a large extent driven by the world's largest consumer of commodities, which is, of course, China. We're expecting China to grow about 8% this year, which is bullish for global commodities. If we think more specifically about base metals such as copper, lead, nickel, tin, many of these metals are essential inputs to green infrastructure and products. So, for example, copper is used in electric vehicles, lead is used in the batteries that store electricity, which is generated by solar power. And while we're still some way off from the mass adoption of things like electric vehicles, we think that demand for these commodities will increase this year as these trends continue to accelerate. One of the things we heard a lot about last year was build back better and the need to put the green economy at the centre of the global recovery. So we saw a number of commitments to change from governments across the world last year. I think Japan pledged to be carbon neutral by 2050. China pledged to hit peak CO2 emissions before 2030. And the UK also launched its 10-point plan for its green industrial revolution. In your report, you predict that 2021 should be a major year for action in the fight against climate change. Barrett, what are the factors that are driving this prediction? I think that's right, Hannah. I think 2021 will be the first year in a long time where the three main economies or trading blocks of the world, the US, the EU and China, will will refocus their efforts concurrently to fight climate change. So the US is expected to join the Paris Accord uh, and host an international climate summit early in the year. EU member states are expected to finalize their plans to accelerate their transition towards uh greener economy and to decouple economic developments from resource constraints and they're expected to submit those plans to the European Commission by the end of April and then towards the end of the year the European Commission is expected to release the first tranche of grants and loans uh, as part of a 750 billion euro package so that process is going to start in the European Union and finally in China We've got the five-year plan, um, some of the details of which have been revealed, uh, were revealed in 2020. And, you know, a lot of that will be focused on on increasing energy efficiency. And to top all of these off, uh, towards the end of the year, or the middle towards the end of the year, uh, some of these issues will be discussed at the climate change conference in, in Glasgow. So quite a lot of activity will be happening in the climate change green space. And I don't think this is just a story for 2021, but it's a much more medium term story. And this aggressive push will sort of kickstart that process. Yeah, and in our UK predictions, we focus quite a lot on on the climate change angle. And um, so we think the UK has the potential to see the majority of its electricity generated from renewable sources uh, in 2021. And we also think there could be a big push for electric vehicles next year as costful, the government invests in charging points, and of course, due to the ban of petrol and diesel cars in 2030. So Rob, on the global scale, what other industries and sectors do you think this push towards net zero um, will impact? Yeah, Hannah, so I mean, you and Barrett have both quite rightly identified some of these green themes that we think will grow in 2021. Um, another industry that we think will, will experience a lot of change this year is the global financial industry. And that's clearly going to play a, a fundamental role in mobilizing the capital that's required to support this transition to net zero. 
So at the moment, green bonds, which are used by companies and governments to directly finance environmental projects, currently make up less than 2% of the global fixed income market. But we think they're going to play a much bigger role this year. And we're predicting that total green bond issuance will top half a trillion dollars for the first, first time. Now, we expect this to be driven by three main factors. So firstly, a growing number of companies and countries are going to look to fund their recoveries from the pandemic using these green financial instruments. In particular, as, as Barrett mentioned earlier, the EU, which is widely seen as the global leader in green tra transition, has announced that 30% of its 1.8 trillion euro recovery package will be financed with green bonds. And this is just going to increase liquidity in the market and encourage greater issuance across the board. Second, clearer government policies and classifications will just improve the functioning of the market. So, again, the EU has announced that in 2021 it will be publishing its green bond standard, and this will just bring greater transparency to the market in these instruments. And finally, we expect investor appetite for environmental, social and governance funds to continue to increase this year. You know, they experienced really strong returns last year, specifically we think that in an optimistic scenario, up to 57% of total European mutual fund assets could be held in these funds by 2025. Thanks both. That was a really interesting discussion on hopefully what we will see as a big push towards the fight against climate change next year. And I think one of the, the other key things on people's minds this year is uh, going to be government debt. So obviously last year we saw public debt levels reach record high levels as government stepped in with significant fiscal stimulus. Barrett, do you think public debt levels will remain high this year? And should we be worried about this? So the, the IMF estimates show that amongst the large advanced economies, so the G7, public debt is projected to increase by around 4 trillion in 2021. Now that's lower than the 7 trillion we, we sort of experienced last year. Uh, but in relative terms, if the stock of public debt in those economies is going to add up to about 140% uh, of G7 GDP. Um, in the E7 economies, you know, the, the numbers are, are smaller. Um, but I, I mean, I would caveat these projections by saying that they were made before there was solid evidence of the emergence of a second wave in, in the northern hemisphere European economies. So there would probably the, be even higher numbers, I think, once these projections are, are revised. So going to your question, you know, is this something to worry about? Um, I think the first thing I would say is before going into the economic question is, is, is more about the, the role and responsibility of governments, which is, which is all about ensuring the well-being of their citizens in the face of this terrible virus. And that's irrespective of what it means to the economy. Uh, so having said that and, and focusing you know, more on the economics, so a key rule for public debt sustainability is for real GDP to grow at a faster rate than the real interest rates incurred on, on the public debt. And you know, given the level of extraordinary monetary support we have seen and will continue to see, uh, as well as the fact that the economic growth rates will sort of start to take up speed. This implies that the, this condition will be met and that most of the debt that we'll see is, is sustainable. So I would be probably less worried about the level of debt, whether that's in relative or, or absolute terms. Uh, and, you know, I think once we're out of this situation, 
I think as a policymaker, most of uh, the effort will then, as I said before, focus on helping the unemployed, helping on focusing to improve the economic outlook, which, as I said, will come through investigating new growth models of economic activity and so on and so forth. And what's your outlook for interest rates this year? Do you think we'll see a normalization of monetary policy anytime soon? I think lower for even longer is our main scenario. It, it is worth recapping what happened in 2020, which, which sort of went past a lot of businesses and analysts without a great deal of attention, partly because the pandemic was going on. Uh, so, we, so in August 2020, the, the Federal Reserve completed a review of its mandate and decided to move to an average inflation targeting regime, which was much more focused on employment levels as well, rather than unemployment levels, uh, which was its historic approach. Now, to cut a long story short, in practice, this means that the Federal Reserve's target rate is likely to remain lower for a, for a significantly longer period of time than initially anticipated. Now, we've also got the European Central Bank, which is you know, another major central bank in the world, that's also undergoing a strategic review of its uh, monetary policy strategy. And the results of those are expected to be announced uh, later in 2021. There's already some signals that the ECB could also follow a similar path set by the US policymakers, potentially by including a much more of a green sort of aspect to its mandate as well. But everything is pointing out that accommodative monetary policy in the major economies of the world is expected to continue into 2021. Great, thanks Barrett, that's really interesting. And thank you to you, Rob, too. Um, that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid, today. Um, but it's been a really interesting discussion and great to reflect on what the new year might bring. If you'd like to read more about all of our other predictions for 2021, you can read our UK economic update, as well as our global economy watch. Both reports are available at the links in the podcast description. And thank you all for listening. I hope everyone's keeping safe and well. Please do subscribe to our economics and business podcast channel. And finally, for more information on the potential economic and business implications of COVID-19, please head to pwc.co.uk forward slash COVID-19 for more information.